we meet with one another, God, please help us to know uh, your presence through the power of your spirit here among us. Lord, please uh, use this time to glorify your son, the Lord Jesus, and to change us from within. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, a very warm welcome to everyone, but particularly if you're new here tonight, um, if this is one of the first times you've been with us, then it's great to have you. Um, We long to be a church that is very welcoming and makes people feel at home. Um, If you'd like to feel at home here, then one thing that you can do is go to our church website, jukestreetchurch.com. On the homepage, you'll find a great big pink button that says hello. You really can't miss it. Um, If you click on that, it'll take you to a short form. You can give us some of your details, and then you'll start getting a a weekly email with a newsletter that tells you about all the uh, different things that go on here at Duke Street uh, on a week-by-week basis. A really helpful thing to kind of get your feet in a church where there's lots going on um, all the time. Uh, A little plug for uh, Refresh 24. Yesterday we experienced Refresh 23. Uh, If you don't know what that is and um, you weren't here for it, it was just our big church day in. We had a great day together um, and next year we're going for something even bigger. Uh, Refresh 24, not a day at home but a weekend away. Um, So that, I believe, is going to be on Friday the 5th to Sunday the 7th of July. And we want you to put the date in your diary now uh, so that you don't double book yourself and find that you can't come next year. You can even book a ticket. Uh, Tickets are available uh, from now. So, you know, it might be a bit too much to say to book early to avoid disappointment. But if you really want to make sure you're not disappointed, then get in there um, as soon as you can. Um, After our service this evening, um, we'll have some refreshments downstairs, um, but there's a meeting happening in the living room downstairs from 7 o'clock for fellowship group leaders. So if you're a fellowship group leader, um, then uh, around the long tables on kind of this end of the living room, if you like, and if you're not a fellowship group leader, um, then please uh, don't try and pinch the food that's on offer. Um, That's not for you, I'm afraid, um, but you can enjoy the rest of the refreshments that are around. Okay, well, with no further ado, let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Now, there is a lot going on in the passage that we're looking at this evening, so it really will help you to have a Bible open in front of you while we read and as I preach. Um, If you've got a church Bible, those are the the red Bibles that are available by the doors you came in through, Um, then the page is uh, page 737, so Daniel chapter 2, page 737, and While you're turning there, just a little reminder of what we saw last week. Uh, The book of Daniel started with Jerusalem, the capital city of God's kingdom, in ruins as the Babylonian army swept in, uh, laid siege, and destroyed it. Uh, Then we were introduced to four young Jewish teenagers who were, were kidnapped and carted off, taken to Babylon as exiles away from home in a foreign city, uh, enrolled in the the University of Babylon, if you like. And the the question was, as exiles, how were they going to live? Were they going to stay faithful to God? Were they going to throw in the towel and join the kingdom of God's enemies? That's where we're going to pick up this evening. But this isn't just a, a history book to interest us. It's God's word. And it's written to encourage and challenge us. And that idea of an exile, someone forced to live away from home, someone who doesn't fit in 
Uh, it's a picture that the New Testament uses to describe every Christian. Uh, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you're an exile. So as we read about Daniel and his fellow exiles, we're, we're to think about what we're being told about what it means to live as a Christian today. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, that's a sort of special Babylonian type of mystic, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. 
To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and thus said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream... Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Oh, big deep breath. (sighs) Like I said, there's a lot going on. Let's pray for God's help as we think about this together. Father, thank you uh, that you are the God who reveals mysteries. You are the God who reveals himself. And we pray, Lord, in uh, the next half an hour or so, on this uh, warm evening, that that would be our experience. We pray that you will reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are. Show us the glory and majesty of your Son. And help us to respond to him as he alone deserves with worship and praise. Amen. Being a Christian today often means feeling powerless. The powerful people in the world, uh, they're the presidents, the politicians, uh, billionaires and global corporations, not the church. Um, The church once had lots of influence in society, in, in our society at least, But that influence has been on the wane for, well, quite a long time now. And while we still experience freedom to worship and uh, protection of our beliefs, we know those those freedoms and protections are being challenged. Uh, They may not last. And doesn't it feel like, well, there's not really too much we can do about it? Maybe we worry about what the future holds and what faithfulness may cost us. Uh, To be a Christian today often means feeling powerless. And to be a Christian today often means to be made to feel clueless. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about what I do for work. Uh, He asked me what my job involved, and I said, well, I, I try to help people to follow Jesus by helping them to understand the Bible. No point. What a waste of time. That's no help to anyone. All right, why is that? Well, it's irrelevant. The Bible is thousands of years out of date. You're no help to anyone. Well, tell me what you really think of me. But at least he was honest. And many in our culture would agree with him, wouldn't they? Being a Christian often means feeling powerless and clueless in the midst of an impressive and intimidating world. It can make us wonder, have we got it all wrong? Is God really in control when his people seem so weak? Should we really stick with what this book that's thousands of years old says when everyone else around us or the vast majority of people think it's stupid to do so? When we feel like that, we need someone to come and put an arm around us and give us confidence. And that's what the book of Daniel is here to do. The book of Daniel is written to give exiles confidence in an intimidating world. In tonight's passage, we're, we're shown behind the scenes of history to see where power and wisdom truly lie. We've got three scenes again tonight, starting in verses 1 to 16, 
wherewith we see the worldly wisdom of Babylon on display. Scene one, all the wisdom in the world, verses one to 16. The chapter starts on an ominous note. Uh, The opening shot, if you like, is of King Nebuchadnezzar tossing and turning in his sleep, troubled by bad dreams. Uh, Now, when we think of dreams today, uh, we might try to think of a a physiological explanation for them. Uh, Maybe Nebuchadnezzar had eaten some bad gorgonzola before bed. Uh, We might try to think of a, a psychological explanation. I imagine being kind of king of the world gives you a fair amount to process overnight in your subconscious. But in the ancient world, dreams like this, they needed a spiritual explanation. A dream like this indicated divine intervention. Someone, somewhere, wanted to tell the king something. The problem was, he didn't know what. Now, fortunately for Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon was the place to be when faced with a problem like this. Babylon was famed for its wisdom. It had countless wise men trained in mystical arts, like reading the the entrails of slaughtered animals for omens or, or tracking the movements of the stars across the skies. And all this was aimed at giving insight into things that are just hidden from the rest of us, from normal people like you and me. And so in verse two, Nebuchadnezzar presses the big red button and in come the wise men of Babylon like clowns out of a small car. Verse two, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. I wonder if you can imagine them standing there. Uh, Maybe they were uh, all lined up, uh, clutching uh, their bags full of their fortune-telling equipment. Uh, Maybe they had telescopes or crystal balls or spells full of books and sharing nervous glances. What could the the king possibly want with all of us? Then, verse 3, all is revealed. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the wise men of Babylon go, yes! Maybe some quiet high fives. Dreams are okay, we can do dreams. See, the Babylonians were really into their dreams. This was standard practice. Apparently, the Babylonians had huge books full of dream interpretation. So if you're a wise person, uh, someone comes along, they've had a dream, they want to know what it means, uh, they tell you the dream, uh, you go off and look it up in your big dream dictionary and come back to them with the interpretation. And I assume they pay you handsomely in return. This is literally textbook stuff. Now, it's not dissimilar today. You can uh, go on the internet and find all sorts of different interpretations of your dreams. Uh, I used to have a recurring dream where one or all of my teeth fell out. I googled it. Apparently, it means that deep down in my co- subconscious, I'm terrified of growing up. Well, it's not implausible, is it? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Hear the confidence of these wise men in verse 4. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Easy, straightforward stuff. Bread and butter for any Babylonian soothsayer worth their salt. But there's a twist, and the twist comes in verse 5. The king doesn't just want to know what his dream means. He wants them to tell him what it was. He's not going to tell them the dream. They need to tell him the dream. He's testing them. Can they really give him any insight into anything, or are they just making it up as they go along? 
fail this test, and they'll be met with a brutal punishment. Torn limb from limb, their families made destitute. Nebuchadnezzar isn't messing around. You can imagine them huddling together with panic in their voices. Enchanters, do you have a spell for this? No, we don't do this sort of thing. I think it's the magicians that do dreams. Oh, don't look at us. We're more into pulling rabbits out of hats. Is there anyone else who can do this? No, there's no one. So they kind of look up and try to renegotiate terms with the king. Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. In verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar flies off the handle. Uh, he accuses them of stalling for time then of lies and corruption, plotting his downfall. But he won't be put off. The test still stands. And so, the cream of Babylonian wisdom is curdled. Their limitations are exposed for all to see. They say, there is not a man on earth who can do this. No one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And they're right. This is a task beyond any human being. And again, Nebuchadnezzar loses it. In verse 12, we're told, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And so the decree goes out, and so do the Babylonian death squads to round up and put down these charlatans. And that's where Daniel and his friends, those four Jewish exiles we, moved, we met last week, enrolled in Babylon University. They, they come back into the story as one of these soldiers turns up at their house, bangs on the door, and goes in to kill them. But before we get to Daniel, uh, let's notice what we're being told here about Babylon. It's the world's most powerful empire but that power is wielded by a fragile dictator. It's famed for its world-class wisdom. That wisdom is revealed to be laughably limited. It's the same today. In the 21st century West, where we live, there are all sorts of voices claiming to be wise, to know all the answers to all the questions. Like, uh, Babylon, there are all sorts of sources of this wisdom, whether it's newspapers uh, and their columnists, whether it's politicians' speeches, uh, influencers on Instagram and YouTube. It's shouted at you on the side of buses, whispered to you as you stream your favorite show, baked into the culture of your school or workplace. And the wisdom of the world, it, it speaks with such confidence, wrapped up in sound bites and slogans. Listen to your heart. Be true to yourself. Love is love. We could go on, couldn't we? Our culture is so confident in its wisdom that it leaves exiles like us confused and full of doubt. But here's the thing with the wisdom of the world. All that brash confidence, all those endlessly repeated slogans, they're hiding something. They're hiding that the wisdom of the world is limited scratch beneath the surface and that which is presented as undeniable is in reality incredibly fragile and of course the world knows this too it's why it doesn't tolerate any criticism or debate or pushback to disagree isn't just wrong but harmful 
to challenge these things is a good way to make yourself deeply unpopular, uh, whether it's at work, at school, on your street, in your social circle. Daniel chapter 2 comes and puts its arms around us. It gives exiles confidence in the face of the world's wisdom. It comes alongside us and says, don't be afraid. They don't know it all. No human being does. You see, when it comes to the most important questions of life, who we are, why we're here, how we can be happy, what happens after we die, when it comes to questions like, who is God and what's God like, we can't crowdsource an answer. We can't come up with an answer ourselves as human beings. We need the answers to be revealed to us. We need, scene two, the God who reveals. The God who reveals, verses 17 to 30. Well, with the failure of the Babylonian wise men still fresh in our minds, it's time for a hero to step up. Step forward, Daniel, fresh from finishing top of his class in wisdom studies, this exiled Jewish teenager is perfectly set up to beat the Babylonians at their own game and should show just how wise and intelligent he is. Um, If this was a film, maybe this would be the moment we'd be treated to a, a cheesy montage with all the music in the background, with Daniel and his friends searching through piles of books and notes, staying up all night to debate, and then finally, ding, 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 the light bulb moment. Daniel's come up with the answer. Well, maybe that's what we expect, but it's not what we're given. You see, Daniel is at pains to show us that the hero of this story, it isn't Daniel, it's Daniel's God. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And it works. God, in his kindness, gives Daniel a vision of his own, a vision which explains everything. So Daniel tells the guard, the guard tells the king, and before you know it, Daniel is standing before the throne where all the wisdom of Babylon faltered. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel's answer Yes and no. In verse 27, Daniel affirms what we've already seen. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. I wonder if you can imagine the the veins popping on Nebuchadnezzar's forehead, his teeth grinding together, but let Daniel finish. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, the difference between Daniel and the Babylonian wise men isn't that he's a more diligent student, able to master Babylonian wisdom. It's simply that he knows God and they don't. God is the hero of this story. And the message is, why shouldn't exiles be awestruck by the wisdom and power of the world? Because we know the God who has true power and true wisdom. Knowing this God should make us want to sing. And that's just what Daniel does in verses 20 to 23. Uh, This song, this psalm of thanksgiving and praise is the heartbeat of the chapter. Flick your eyes down to verses 20 uh, to 23. 
Daniel starts his song by praising God that wisdom and might belong to him and to nobody else. Despite Nebuchadnezzar's pretensions, he's just a piece on God's chessboard. Verse 21, we're told he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. This is the God of power. And despite Babylon's famous wisdom, all they've managed to achieve is a human system with distinctly human results. True wisdom, Daniel tells us, isn't achieved by us, but given by God. Verse 21, continuing, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. This is the God of revelation. This is Daniel's God. And if you're a Christian, this is your God too. And so you can join in this song of praise and thank God that he has revealed himself to you in all his wisdom and power. The Bible teaches that all of God's wisdom and power are revealed in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus. And in particular, the place where we see God's power and wisdom most clearly on display is on the cross of Christ. Now, peel back the millennia of Christian teaching on the cross, and that is a shocking statement. To to die on a cross wasn't an expression of power. It was an agonizing means of execution designed to show the weakness of the victim. So to to worship the one who died on a cross, uh, to claim that your ultimate hope in life in death is somehow wrapped up in a victim of crucifixion, it isn't just a, a little bit eccentric. It's downright foolish. The Apostle Paul knew this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he compares the wisdom and power of the world to the wisdom and power of God. He says, for Jews demand signs, we could say displays of spiritual power, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, Christians, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. What's Paul saying? They just don't get it. But Paul carries on. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than humanity and the weakness of God is stronger than humanity. So what do you see when you look at the cross? If you see God's power on display as he defeats his enemies, rejoice that God has called you. If you see God's wisdom on display as he accomplishes his salvation plan through the death of his son, give thanks to God that he has revealed himself to you. Perhaps that's not where you are tonight. Perhaps Christianity, all this talk of Jesus and the cross, is still a mystery to you. Uh, You know other people believe this message, and sometimes you wish you did too, but you just can't see it. If that's you, it's great you're here. The best thing you could do is pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you, if he's really there. You don't have to do this in public. You don't have to tell any other human being that you've done it but it's a great place to start. To say to God in your heart, God, I can't work you out. 
please show yourself to me and see what he does. It's worth doing, the Bible says, because there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And God's people know him. But the good news doesn't end there. For this God of power and wisdom isn't staying up there in the heavens, comfortably out of the way. His plan is to bring heaven to earth. And our final scene tells us all about his everlasting kingdom. The everlasting kingdom, verses 31 to 49. Now, after 31 verses of build-up and tension, we finally find out what this dream was in verses 31 to 35. A, A huge statue, so big and bright that it was terrifying to look at. Its head of the finest gold, chest and arms of silver from waist to knee is bronze, then legs of powerful iron, finally feet of clay mixed with iron. It's a mighty work. It's a, a wonder. But despite being forged from precious and powerful metals, the statue doesn't stay standing for long. Out of nowhere comes a stone. Uh, flying through the air, it smacks into the statue's fragile feet. And with that one small blow, the statue crumbles until with a gust of wind, it disappears into thin air. What seemed so powerful, unassailable, is wiped off the face of the earth in an instant. But that stone that came out of nowhere, it grows and grows and grows to the size of a mountain, a mountain which fills the whole earth. Well, it's quite the dream. We're not left guessing what it means. We don't need to grab the dream books or wonder what was going on deep down in Nebuchadnezzar's subconscious. God himself provides the interpretation. He makes his message clear. This is a message about power and who truly wields it. It's a message about history and who really controls it. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, you are the head of gold. Well, that's quite the compliment. But Daniel isn't stoking the king's ego here. Look at what Daniel says about Nebuchadnezzar's power in verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. There's that word which stood out to us so much last week. God has given Nebuchadnezzar his power. Nebuchadnezzar is in control because of God's gift to him. And just as God is able to give power, he's just as easily able to take it away. Nebuchadnezzar's power won't last forever. The times they are are changing. And soon another kingdom will rise up to replace Nebuchadnezzar. And then after that kingdom, a third kingdom will come up and a fourth kingdom. And then they'll all crumble and be no more. Well, people disagree over exactly which kingdoms are being referred to here. Uh, Some people think this speaks of the the kingdoms of the ancient world which uh, rose up and dominated vast swathes of the earth, pretty much one after the other. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Um, On the other hand, some people think it's just referring to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kings who succeeded him. I don't think we can really know. But the point is clear. God, the God of heaven holds the kingdom and empires of the world in his hands. Whatever power they have is delegated to them. He makes them rise. He makes them fall. But one day, 
He is bringing a kingdom that will be unlike any other. Not a human kingdom, but a kingdom of his own that will last forever. Verse 44. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. This is God's message to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be too impressed with your kingdom and your power. The kingdom that really matters is my kingdom, a kingdom that won't be here today, gone tomorrow, ending up in a museum, but one that will stand the test of time and spread throughout the whole earth. But of course, this lesson lesson isn't just for Nebuchadnezzar, it's a lesson for us. It's what we need to hear as God's people, living in the, the midst of a powerful and intimidating world where those who oppose God and and hate his truth seem so powerful and his people so weak. The message is this. Don't be afraid. God is in control and his everlasting kingdom is coming. Just as we saw last week, as New Testament believers, believers living on this side of the cross, we have even more reason to be confident than Daniel's original readers. For centuries, it must have seemed like God had just forgotten about these promises as his people were uh, tossed around by one powerful empire after another. Until one day, uh, in a little corner on the outskirts of the greatest empire the world had ever seen, another young Jewish man stood up and declared, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus Christ is the rock, cut without human hands, that brings the kingdoms of the world to their knees. From that day until now, his kingdom has spread and spread like wildfire, as people from all over the world turn from trusting in the power and wisdom of the world and believe in his gospel, the power and wisdom of God, revealed in Jesus Christ. In his life and death and resurrection, Jesus established his kingdom, and one day he will return to bring it to completion, to fill all the earth with his heavenly reign. And as we finish tonight, the final verses of this majestic chapter leave us with a taste of that future to come. Verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful human being on the face of the planet, the conqueror of cities, the king of kings, the ruler of the earth, bows down to Daniel and praises his God. And there is a day coming, says the Lord, when the most powerful people on earth, from rulers and royalty to presidents and politicians to CEOs and celebrities, will all bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. And until that day, we're to live as exiles in the world. And though our little outpost of his kingdom seems so unimpressive, so foolish, we can trust that the wisdom and power of God, the God who holds history in his hands, will surely and finally fulfill all his promises and grant his people a place in his everlasting kingdom.